0: Hey, welcome to East Brainerd, everybody. Man, we are glad that you are here. We've got a lot of moving parts that are going on today. Uh, If you were able to be here at 9.15, we expanded our gathering time as we came together at 9.15. Going to have an hour of class time now on Sunday mornings. And we expanded also the number of offerings that we have. So uh, multiple classes for our adult population, Also have classes that are going on, small group studies for our uh, teens, also for our children. And so again, that has been expanded. We had come back having a 9.30 time, but now we are going to 10.15, expanding that time a little bit more. Uh, We know that oftentimes it is hard to get here on time. And so when we had class at 9.30, a lot of us were not here until 9.45 or 10 o'clock. And then all of a sudden class was over. Well, we're expanding that time, and we know that as we get used to that, we'll get closer and closer to getting here at that 9.15 time. Hey, look, we don't care when you get here. We're just thankful that you're here. We look at ourselves as being a well. This is a well that people can come to and hopefully fill up on spiritual water. That's what we wanted to have take place. And so we're thankful if you were able to be here today for the 9-15 classes. Make plan to be here for the small group studies next week. And you can find out where those are and what the topics are. There is a sheet that's out front um, on the tables at our Connect Center. And you're welcome to go and find out about that. And then also we just sent our uh, three years old through fourth graders. We sent them to the back, to the lobby. Um, past months what we have been doing we've been having our class time and the, the kids were there and then they would stay and and go to kids praise and they never uh, made it back over to this side of campus with mom and dad but we're adjusting that here in 2022 in some ways going back to what we were doing uh pre-pandemic where the children will be in here with us uh, until sometime after our communion sharing together and then before the message they will be dismissed and so again they were. Uh, different uh, volunteers who are outside to uh, handle that. We are thankful uh, for those volunteers and thanks to the moms and dads who are walking them back also and, and helping out with that. A lot of things, a lot of moving parts. And so thanks to all of our staff and volunteers who have been working uh, to put that together for, uh, for, for this week. Some other things that are going to go on, I'll tell you about that at the end of our message time. Uh, today though. uh, Again, a lot of different things happening. Just thanks for being here on what is just a wet and yucky, man it's a wet and yucky day today. Uh, But you got out and you came and I hope that you're being encouraged by your time here together. Uh, This message is being uh, translated in the uh, box upstairs and uh, so uh, many of our Spanish-speaking brothers or sisters, you might see a microphone or an earpiece that they're wearing in order to be able to receive that translation. Thankful to be able to do that. I think Marco Jr. is up there. Uh, I keep telling him I'm going to slow down in the way that I speak, but it's not working. Uh, so Marco, uh, good luck to your brother. I hope it goes, I hope it goes well. Uh, on, on October 3rd, 2003, during a live performance of the Siegfried and Roy magic show, at the Mirage in Las Vegas, Nevada, Roy Horn was viciously mauled by his beloved, one of his beloved white tigers. It was a 400-pound Bengal tiger called Manticore. Now, the name translates from, from Persian and Latin as man-eater. I mean, that's what you want to call a 400-pound tiger, right? Man-eater. That's great. Now, now, look, Doctors Saved the Life of Horn, but the Siegfried and Roy show, it shut down permanently after this, and, and allegations began to circulate that the tiger attack might not have been random. In fact, there's going to be an Apple TV podcast that is going to premiere this Wednesday. It's called Wild Things, Siegfried and Roy, and it's going to zero in on that tragic night and explore some theories as to perhaps what went wrong. Now, the podcast executive producer, Stephen Lacart recently told the New York Post, there are theories that this was not an accident and that someone actually triggered the tiger. And he added this, you wonder why someone would try to turn a tiger against a a magician. (laughs) Sure, I wonder that. Excuse me, he's a 400-pound tiger named Man-Eater. I don't think he needs anyone's help to turn him against a magician, right? I mean, no one had to go and whisper in his ear and go, Hey, psst. man, those magicians, they're so lame. Just a bunch of bums. The lion in the cage next door wasn't sending him subliminal messages. You don't really want to disappear today. You don't really want to disappear. He wasn't sitting there in his cage reading a self-help book, unlocking your inner tiger, right? Now, I remember when this occurred, there were all these people who were just shocked. They were shocked that this this cute and cuddly cat would act so, would just act so wild. I mean, this show grossed $45 million a year. It grossed that amount. Night after night, Audiences watched and people came and and they cheered, and and everyone just started thinking that Manticore was just some grown up version of little Fluffy who's there on your floor playing with that ball of yarn and chasing the lights around. I mean, that's what Manticore is. He's just a grown up version of, of Fluffy. But for some reason on that night in 2003, whether he was triggered or tricked, Manticore said, I'm done playing let me remind you who I am and why was there shock with that I think it's because people forgot who was on center stage and I'm afraid that we are now part of a culture that looks similarly at God in that way he has been tamed and he has been caged he has been domesticated and so that we can manage him so that we can tell him what to do and and he exists primarily for our enjoyment and it's breaking news if we ever get a glimpse of who's actually on stage. Jeremiah chapter 5 I want you to listen to something that the prophet said centuries ago. Announce this to the descendants of Jacob and proclaim it in Judah. Hear this, you foolish and senseless people who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. Should you not fear me, declares the Lord? Should you not tremble in my presence? He says, I made the sand a boundary for the sea, an everlasting barrier it cannot cross. The waves may roll, but they cannot prevail. They may roar, but they cannot cross it. What a picture where God says, water, you can come this far and no farther. But these people, but these people have stubborn and rebellious hearts. They have turned aside and gone away. They do not say to themselves, let us fear the Lord our God. Stubborn, rebellious, people who have turned aside and and gone their own way. I wonder if that describes us. What do you think? Does that describe Does that describe you? I don't want you to think about our culture. I don't want you to think about society. I don't want you to think about your neighbor that lives right there next to you. I just want you to think about yourself. Do you still have a fear of the Lord? Or have you forgotten who's on center stage? You see, the natural response, if an individual knows God, I believe, is to enter into his presence with holy fear. And we spoke about this last week. And I, look, I'm not talking about some, some fearing some petty, capricious deity who acts like a traffic cop who, who's hiding to watch you make a mistake and then is going to jump out and, and write you an eternal ticket for breaking one of his rules. But a fear that makes you just stop and go, Whoa. a fear that makes you shut your mouth. A fear that makes you stand back and consider. A fear that, the Proverbs says, is the beginning of knowledge. A fear, I believe, that you must understand before you can understand anything else. So let me compare it in a way that Jesus did. Let's compare it to parenting. Because after all, he taught his disciples to approach God as our Father. And look, I've heard parents before, many being my peers, comment after their child has said something flippant, some kind of just quick statement toward them or another adult. And I've heard, I heard them say, I would have said that to my dad. You made that comment before maybe? Would have said that. Why? Is it possible that we are now part of a culture that says, you know what, you don't got to fear anybody. You don't, you don't have to fear anybody. You, you don't, there is no higher authority. You don't have to bow your knee before anyone. You don't have to set aside your rights. You know, last week I showed you Buddy Jesus. Remember this picture? And oftentimes I think we want to be Buddy Dad or Buddy Mom, and then we're shocked when we give our kids a directive, and they say, that's just stupid. It's just don't. You know, if I'd ever said that to my dad, I would have had a theological experience. Yeah. And, and he's, he's at home watching today. I, I can say for sure, I would have met the Lord if I'd have said that to my dad. I have no doubt. And you say, Chris, but don't you love your dad? Well, sure. But you know what? I knew who to fear. And if we don't have that as a base of our understanding. In awareness of how great and how awesome and how mighty our holy God is, that I don't know if we really have the ability to move forward and to learn how to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind and strength. And moms and dads, we need to be able to demonstrate this to the next generation. We have to be able to point clearly to the holy otherness of God so that those who are around us and we ourselves will step back and occasionally drop to our knees and just say, whoa, wow. And maybe just be silent. See, only then can we be picked up in the loving arms of God. Fear is the beginning and understanding of wisdom because it teaches me how great and awesome God is and how ungodly I am. But see, when we lose the fear of the Lord, we either miss out on how great He is or how broken we are. And if I miss out on either of these, if I miss out on God's greatness or if I miss out on my brokenness, then I will never actually seek or then accept the love of God. Because why, why would I seek out this deity that is not great? Right? And, and then why would I even want to go looking for him if I've got everything together? I don't need any help, I don't need God. And so, what can we do to recover the fear of the Lord? That's kind of what we've been looking at these last couple of weeks. Well, first off, about this about this idea that we're trying to recover this fear, we need to understand that this fear is not a fear of punishment. Right? It's not a fear of punishment. And it's important for us to think about this, because often when we think about the idea of of fearing God, he says, oh, I don't want to mess anything up, and I, I don't want to get anything wrong. We live as if grace does not exist. That's not the fear that we're talking about. Exodus chapter 9, there's an interaction that takes place between Pharaoh and Moses. He summons Moses and Aaron. He says, this time I have sinned, he said to them. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord. Pray to the Lord, for we have had enough thunder and hail. See, Pharaoh is in the midst of the ten plagues, but he has never been to vacation Bible school. He doesn't know there's still two to come, so he's trying to cut it off at number eight. And so he's going to make a deal with Moses and Aaron, and he's saying, okay, look, look, I've had enough already. I mean, you guys can go. There's no harm done. I was tired of having you around anyway. Look, I'm really sorry. Just go out and stop all this thunder and hail, all right? And then look at the next verse. Moses replied, When I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands in prayer to the Lord. The thunder will stop and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But I know... He says, but I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord God. Moses said, look, Pharaoh, I know you're sorry you've gotten caught. And I know that what's going on right now is difficult and it's uncomfortable, but you really don't fear the Lord. It's like children who are sorry that they got caught. They say, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll never do it again. Now, I know that the majority of those of you who are here this morning and, and the majority of those who are watching online, that you all demonstrated true repentance as a child, right? You did. For you said, Father, before you whip me, I wish to say thank you. Because I know that this is going to hurt you a lot more than it hurts me. And the only reason that you are punishing me is so that my life might be blessed. And Father, I am so thankful to have parents as consistent and thoughtful in handing out punishment as you and mother are. For all these wrongs that I've engaged in, I will forever be thankful and gracious. No way that was you, right? You were running through the house saying, please don't beat me, please, please. you were like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again. My own daughter once told her elementary teacher that she got whipped with a branch at home. (laughs) A branch. She's like, I'm going to call in social services. I know how to get this stopped. I know what to say. There's a difference between fearing God's punishment and having an appropriate fear of the Lord. And by the way, this is important to understand. Fearing God's punishment is something that John says the child of God should never be concerned about. Listen to 1 John 4 and verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love dries out fear because fear has to do with punishment. See, the child of God doesn't fear punishment because the child of God knows grace and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You do not fear the punishment of God, but you say, whoa knowing that you daily live in the presence of God. Here's the second thing about the fear that we're talking about. It's not a substitute for love. I don't want you to leave after this series and think that instead of loving God, you just have to to fear him, and there has to be this trembling. You need to understand that these two are not mutually exclusive. In fact, they go together. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask you? What does the Lord your God ask you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Here God's leader knew that the people needed not just to fear God, but they also needed to love God with all their heart and soul. And oh, by the way. Jesus is going to reach back to this verse when he is asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he's going to reach back and he's going to say, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And guess where that verse starts? Fear the Lord your God. The two go together. You don't substitute one for the other. Jesus says, love the Lord your God. And he grabs it right there to a verse that starts out talking about fear. And so last week I gave you a Hebrew word that you could impress your friends with. The word is Yahweh. And hopefully some of you used it this week. Put it on your Twitter feed. It's a word that means fear and respect for the Lord. We are to have Yahweh for Yahweh. But you say, but you say, can't we just use the word respect? Right? I mean, because that makes That just makes more sense. I understand that more. Can't we just use the word respect? Wouldn't that be easier for people to understand? And you're right. It could be with our English language. It could be with with various languages of the world that maybe using the word for respect, maybe that's something that's easier for us to understand. But I'm a little bit leery of softening this Hebrew word up. I'm a little leery of that. You see, because I don't think respect really quite does it justice to the intensity of the word. Peter, James, and John were not just being respectful when they fell on their face terrified in Matthew chapter 17 upon witnessing the divine glory of the Lord and hearing the voice of God. It was more than just holding a door open for a young lady or removing your hat for old glory that Jesus was had in mind when he told his disciples in Matthew 10 to fear the one who can destroy both body and soul. Now, I know that we would like to use a word that doesn't make it so uncomfortable, a word that softens it, a word that sounds better. But I don't think God is so much concerned about our comfort as he is with our character. And so Jesus says, fear the Lord. Fear God. Listen to how this comes together in, in Exodus chapter 20. It says in verse 18 that the people saw the thunder and lightning as they had approached the mountain of the Lord. It says they, they saw the mountain and it was all in smoke. They trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and they, they said to Moses, you know, you need to speak to us and we will listen. Don't, don't have God speak to us because that is just too much for us to take. We don't want to listen to him. Don't let God speak or we're going to die. We're just going to collapse right here. But Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. You say, Moses, wait a minute. Can you, re- can you repeat that just a minute? You're saying, don't be afraid, but fear God. Yes. Wait, 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 what are you talking about? It's like, look, all the things that you're seeing and all that you're experiencing as the presence of God is consuming this mountain says, don't turn away from it. Don't think that you're going to be consumed by it. But you stay here and you look at it and you take it all in and let the holiness and the righteousness of God wash over you. Fear the Lord. And friends, I think we need to own that. And we need to grab it. And we need to take it and we need to go and we need to put it up on a shelf. We need to put it up on a shelf. And we need to do that because when Satan comes along to tempt us and he says, hey, why don't you come and do it my way? And why don't you come and talk my way? And why don't you believe my way? And why don't you think my way? And why don't you live my way? I want you then to go over to the pantry and I want you to open up that cupboard and I want you to reach up and I want you to take down that jar of Yahweh for Yahweh. And I want you to pour you a big old glass of Yahweh. And then I want you to drink deeply from it. Drink deeply from the presence of God. And when you do, it will keep you from believing the deceiver. It will keep you from believing the lies. And it will keep your life from being destroyed and being robbed of true joy. And moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, we have to make sure that our kids have a jar of this on their shelf. I mean, I know that our kids have a jar of God loves me on their shelf. And they have a jar of God is gracious, and, and they have a jar of, of God is good, but we need to them, for them to have a good-sized jar that's labeled the fear of the Lord that they can drink from regularly in order to remind them of who it is that created them, of who it is that will judge them, of who it is that will save them, and who it is that is to be at the center of the stage. So that they will reverence him. So that they will reverence his name. So that they will bow their will before him and kneel daily in his presence. Now, moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, there's no easy way to say this. So I want you to go ahead and look at the person that's sitting next to you. And I want you to say, this is going to sting a bit. Go ahead. Because it is. It's, It's true. You need to tell the people around you to get ready. All right? Our children will not kneel, bow, or fear the Lord until they see us doing it. Our children will not fear the Lord until they see the fear of the Lord in us. Whether it's in the way that we say our prayers, read scripture, or use the name of the Lord. Psalm 19 and verse 14 says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to Be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Guys, why would our children speak with purity if they hear us saying God this and God that every day? Why would they speak with purity if they hear us allowing profanity and gossip to pour from our lips? Why would they view opportunities like this to be able to come and encourage one another toward love and good deeds as being something that is important if we just allow any reason to keep us away from times of praise? Or if when we are here, we merely just go through the motions with no emotion at all? Or or why, why would our children give their lives to Jesus Why do our children give their lives to Jesus when they can't see Jesus making any difference in the way that we handle our jobs or our finances or our relationship? Our children will not fear the Lord until they see the fear of the Lord in us. Where we live our lives as if, whoa, God is here. In this place, in this car, in this house, in this bedroom. God is here. So, could it be that you need to open the jar and drink deeply from God's presence? Could it be that you need to be reminded of who is on center stage? Do you need to see the untamed King of Kings? It could be that the best thing that can happen in your life, the best thing that could happen to your marriage, the best thing that could happen to your children, the best thing that could happen for you, grandma, the best thing that could happen for you, grandpa, for all of us parents who are out here, that the best thing that could happen is that we are reminded of who is on center stage and say, That is the God that I fear. Because blessed is the man, blessed is the woman, blessed is the teenager, blessed is the child who fears the Lord. So here's how we're going to close out this part of our time together this morning. I asked I ask Derek if he and our worship team would, would sing two songs for us together. And we're going to sing a song that's called On Bended Knee I Come. And we're going to sing a song that's called I Stand in Awe. Now, as we do this, I want you to know, and I want you to be able to hear, and I hope you've picked up as I've been talking about this today. God is omnipresent. It is not just that we are to have fear and respect and awe for the Lord because we have come here to, to this place. You know, we are living our lives before the great King of Kings, every single day. And, and that, that fear, that awe, that respect, that reverence, that needs to be present each and every day within our life. And we bring those worshiping lives here when we come to encourage one another. But as together we're going to sing On Bended Knee I Come and Then I Stand in Awe. And, and so here's what I'm going to ask if you'd like to do. The first song, we're not going to be standing. You can be seated if you'd like, but if you've got room and... If you're not uncomfortable doing so, I would ask that you get out into the side and you get down on your knees before the Lord as we actually sing on Bended Knee I Come. And instead of it being just a metaphor, actually let it be something physically that you express to God that you realize, whoa. You are awesome. And then you stay there either seated and bowed or down on a knee until we begin to sing, I stand in awe of you. And then in full assurance of the grace and salvation that comes through Jesus Christ, you rise to your feet and you open up your heart and voice and you praise the one who has saved you, the author and perfecter of your faith. If you're comfortable doing so, I ask that you do. I ask that you bow as together we sing.